I am learning oh, to lean on my Jesus, and I'm finding more power than I've ever dreamed. Oh, I am Yes, I am learning to lean. I am learning to lean on Jesus. Oh, and I'm finding more power than I've ever dreamed. I'm On Jesus. Amen. Is that your prayer this morning? Lord, help me to lean more on you. Uh, as crazy as this world is and continues to get more crazier, I'm thankful there's somewhere where we can lean. Amen. I want to welcome you to the service uh, this morning. Um, let's sing... Uh, That song, Shout to the Lord. My Jesus, my Savior, amen. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none but you. In all of my days, I want to praise the wonders of you. My comfort, my shelter, a tower of refuge and strength. Oh, let every breath and all that I am never cease to worship you. Shout to Mountains bow down, seas will roar at the sound of your name. I'll sing for joy of your hands forever. Nothing compares promise I have in you. My Jesus, my Savior, 
Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mind. Mighty love, my comfort, my shelter, a tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Amen. Oh, shout to the Lord. Oh, let us see power and majesty. Praise to the King. Mountains bow down, the seas will roar at the sound of your name. Aim, I'll sing for joy, the work of your hands, forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down, the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I'll sing. For joy, the work of your hands, ever I'll love you, ever I'll stand, nothing compares to the promise, nothing compares to the promise, one more time. Will nothing compares the promise I have in you? Amen. Nothing compares, amen, to the promise we have in Him. We're resting on that this morning. Well, we're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer and take some needs. Before, we're going to ask our brother Frank. It's good to have him here uh, with us uh, to take some needs before the throne. want to first off wish all the mothers a happy Mother's Day. Um, without you, the rest of us wouldn't be here. So we thank you. Uh, we thank our mothers. So um, happy Mother's Day. Um, Sister Becky and Brother Barry have gotten flowers for the mothers. So uh, feel free. If you're a mom, to get yourself a flower in the back. And if you're a husband and your wife happens not to be here, feel free to grab her one. Uh, So for all the mothers. um, We want to uh, remember the Paschals in prayer. Uh, They're here. The Florians are away on vacation. Uh, 
so we want to remember them. And uh, the crosses are not here either. A few of them are not feeling well. Uh, if you have any unspoken prayer requests, just make them to own the Lord with an uplifted hand. I'm thankful that there's somewhere where we can bring those needs. Uh, as Brother uh, Frank comes, if you could just play softly, bring all your needs to the altar. As Brother Frank comes. Let's bow our heads. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, it's just... just a grand privilege, Lord. To be gathered, Lord, once again with your children. And Lord, there's many needs. Lord, as we see the request that was read, Lord, and I certainly can't remember them all, Lord, but some were sick, some were traveling, Lord. Lord, we're a needy people. Lord, you're a God that heals the needs of your people. And Lord, we bring these petitions to you this morning, Lord, with full confidence, Lord, that you're in control of all things. Lord, I pray that you would bless this service, Lord, all that's gathered here, Lord. I pray, Lord, you would be with Brother Barry, Lord, as he comes, Lord. May you anoint him, Lord, to speak, Lord, and the people to receive. May you bless the furthest part of this service. Bless the mothers that's all gathered here today, Lord, and across the country, Lord. Bless your bride, wherever they might be, Lord. Pray, Lord, you'd be with those people in Ukraine, Lord, that's going through the battle. May you keep them, Heavenly Father. Keep us in your will today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Turn and uh, shake hands with those that are around you. We want to welcome our visitors that are here with us as well. Um, And then uh, you may have your seats. We're going to sing Keep on the Firing Line. Amen. Got to keep on that firing line, amen? amen? Well, if you're in the battle for the rod and right, keep on the firing line. Well, if you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. Well, there are many dangers that we all must face. If we die fighting, it is no disgrace. Coward in the service will find no place. So keep on the firing line. Amen. Oh, you must fight. Be brave against all evil. Never run nor even lag behind. If you would win. God and the right, just keep on the firing line. Now, God will only use a soldier he can trust. Keep on the firing line. If you wear a crown, then bear the cross you must. Amen. Keep on the firing line. Life is but to labor for the master, dear. 
help to banish evil and to spread good cheer. Great, you'll be rewarded for your service here. So keep on the firing line. Amen. So you must fight. Be brave against all evil. Never run nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. Amen. Now when we get to heaven, brother, we'll be glad. Keep on the firing line. How we'll praise the Savior for the call we had. Keep on the firing line. When we see the souls that we have helped to win. Amen. Leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin. With a shout we'll welcome we will all march in, so keep on the fire and line. Oh, you must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the fire and line. One second. I want to go back and I want to sing this third verse. And I really like the part, when we see the souls that we have helped to win, I think sometimes when we go in our everyday walk, our everyday life, we forget that we're a walking Bible. Amen? And when we are doing things here, like our church helping with vision books, or we're helping, you know, send things overseas, we don't realize no matter if we're, Brother Aaron or Brother Barry or somebody else that are going overseas, just being here and being a part of that, we get a little part of that too. Amen? Helping to win souls. Amen. When we get to heaven, brother, we'll be glad. Keep on the firing line. And how we'll praise the Savior for the call we had. Keep on the firing line. When we see the souls that we had helped to win, leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin, with a shout of welcome, we will all march in, so keep on the firing line. Oh, we must fight, be brave against all evil, never run, nor even lag behind. If you God and the right, just keep on the firing line. Oh, you must fight, brave against all evil. Amen. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win, for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. Amen. That's good. Brother Peter. You can come up. Brother Peter's got an announcement that he's going to come up real quick. As he's coming, we've got one other announcement. Um, we have been working the trustees for a while to get someone to oversee the fellowship hall and coordinate stuff. So in talking with Brother Barry, um, Brother Chris, and Sister Cassia, our, uh, Clayville are going to take that over. So they will be coordinating if anyone outside of uh, official 
uh, HBT event, would like to use it if you want to use it for an anniversary party, birthday parties, anything like that, please see uh, Brother Chris, and they will help you uh, get that set up and make sure that it doesn't overlap with something that's going on with the church. Thank you, Brother Ben. Good morning. So not so much an announcement this morning. It's just a couple of updates on behalf of the um, <clears throat> the um, Sunday school team, I'll say it. So it's myself and a group of dedicated uh, teachers that are out there every Sunday morning and through the week preparing and getting ready as well. So this is not so much me talking as it is representing them and what we've talked about over the past couple of weeks and months in learning the Sunday school program, and now we will um, do some plan doing some checking and now some adjusting as we go through the, the program. So we appreciate you uh, trusting us to have your kids in the Sunday school program. So far, I think it's gone really well. Looking forward to the next six, eight months and uh, what the Lord has for us and for the, the kids as well. Uh, so I've got a small PowerPoint prepared here. I think I can touch this and move forward. So just a couple of general comments as we get started. Again, on behalf of myself and the other teachers, we are truly honored to play a role in supplementing your child's spiritual well-being. But what I want to do is put an emphasis on the word supplementing, right? So what we do is reinforce, hopefully, what is being taught and done at home as part of your Sunday school program, your devotion program, etc. So we, we feel a burden in this direction to help you and your families out. Um, it is still incumbent on you to reinforce those things at home and teach your your, your kids at home. So I think that's worth saying for all of us. Would you agree? Um, it's not, not the responsibility of the Sunday school teachers or the program to uh, have the spiritual well-being of every child in its entirety. Right? And I hope it's okay that I, that I say that. That's the way I feel about it, certainly. Um, it is also up to you as a parent to have your kids here on time and with their Bibles and ready to roll. If they've got a Sunday school verse or an activity or some homework, per se, that they needed to complete. Uh, let's let's ha- help us out by by getting them prepared, ready to come. Sunday school starts at ten fifteen, sharp. For my class, we usually roll you know a few minutes past that and do some preliminaries and so on and so forth. Um, but ten fifteen sharp is when it starts. And um, if there's any change to that, we'll let you know via the different forums that we have. Which is uh, there's a WhatsApp group out there for the different teams. Uh, but the very might send an email out, etc. So there's different forums where you'll, where you'll get the, the announcement if there's a change in, in that time. Um, so, But we need you as parents to do your part and uh, have the kids here on time and focused and ready to roll. All right? So, again, like I mentioned, at Plan, Do, Check, Adjust, uh, eight months or so going through the Sunday School program. It's been great. We see the, the need for a couple of small changes, and this is one of those. So the class groupings will change moving forward just slightly. And for those of you who have been in the Sunday School program, you'll, you'll recognize this. So uh, moving forward, uh, ages 3 to 5, Sister Rachel Pritchard has that class. Uh, ages 6 to 8, Sister Julia has that class. 9 to 12 is Sister Laura. 13 to 17 is the class led by myself. And then from 18 and up, glad to announce, as you've probably seen and, and heard, that Brother Aaron Ningamaz is going to um, step in and be uh, leading uh, uh, Sunday school program, if you will, for the uh, 18 and onwards, 18, I guess, through single. So really appreciate Brother Aaron taking the, the lead on that um, moving forward. I think it's going to be a, a real, real blessing for the older youth. 
his schedule is probably going to be different than our Sunday school schedule, which is, which is completely fine. They met this morning at 10 a.m. They might decide to meet sometime at a coffee shop. They might decide to it's, – it's totally Brother Aaron's call working with the older uh, youth because they've got certainly a different schedule than, than what the 17 and downwards have where they're interacting with, with the parents and so forth. So that group can stay tuned with Brother Aaron and um, uh, know what, what, the, what the updates are. This is an important bullet point. Before a child moves up to the next class, the parents must speak to their current teacher. There are behavioral guidelines in place. So what I mean by that is, uh, I, I'll say this first, if a child is grandfathered, they are grandfathered in. So if you see something that's different on this board and they're in a maybe a bracket that's above where they should be per this list, that's okay. You can choose to leave them there. If you want to move them, step them back to a different class, that's fine as well. Just please, before you make any moves, have a conversation with your current Sunday school teacher. That way, on a given Sunday, we find out that Jim Bob has turned 13, and all of a sudden he shows up in my class, and I didn't, I didn't know he was coming because I certainly don't know everybody's birthday. Uh, so hope that's okay. Just please have a, a conversation with your Sunday school teacher. By behavioral guidelines, what we've, what we've determined as a Sunday school group and, and, and the teachers in particular is what we want to see in the different students. So, so a child may be six, but they're not quite ready to jump into that, that bracket just yet, and that's perfectly okay. Uh, we'd like to have that conversation with the parents, between the parents and the teacher before they get there. What do I mean by behavioral guidelines? Um, the simple one is that Sister Julia might like to ensure that the kids are potty trained before they come to her class. And this example, I'd, I would certainly expect that in my class as well. It's things like that. That's, that's kind of a simple example. Um, and, and there's more. They're very basic, very, very simple. There's nothing, nothing complex or, or uh, strong about the, the guidelines whatsoever. And they are truly guidelines. Okay, that's the part I want to, part I want to stress. Last slide. We're almost done. We are hoping to do a quarterly newsletter, or at least a periodic newsletter. Sister Caitlin Brown has volunteered to help us put that together. Um, we'll be doing good to get that out every quarter, so uh, bear with us, but we'll, we're going to try our best. And what I want to cover in that is what are the topics that we've been teaching and presenting, what, what, what's going on in the classes you as a parent may not know, and certainly some of the folks who are not involved in the Sunday School program would have no idea. So I think it's, I think it's important that you know and we communicate proactively to you what we're, what we're presenting, what we're teaching, what are some of the topics. Uh, that way you can provide some feedback as well because we need that. All right, so that will be coming out. Um, there will be uh, – we still haven't really set the, the, the standard for what that newsletter will look like, maybe um, what the offerings amounts, offering amounts are or were, what we're going to do with those offerings, uh, what's upcoming in the future, just different things like that. We do take offerings in our Sunday school program, so arm your kids with some, some uh, cash. That would be great. Brother Ben already, Brother Ben already touched on this, so I appreciate that. Fellowship Hall Sunday School set up. Lots of folks have asked, if I use the, the Fellowship Hall, how do I restore it back so the teachers are good to go? And we are thrilled to have Brother Chris and Sister Keisha that are going to lead that effort. So we've talked about a couple of ideas, and I'll leave that with them to, to handle it. But if you have an event in the Fellowship Hall, there is a way. We'd love to have it set back up. Sister Keisha and Brother, Brother Chris will, will handle that. You can get that information from them. So I'll leave that right there. Uh, these are two wrap-up bullets. We thank you again for your trust because we feel that trust that you've placed in us as a group of teachers. I, you know, for my part, for the very set the, the teachers in motion, I didn't have to do any selections at all, and I appreciate that. Um, I don't think he could have picked finer, and we appreciate the trust that you have in us as a Sunday school 
uh, group of teachers and leaders. We really, really appreciate that. Glad we can impart something into the lives of your children and as well as my children as well and uh, really are honored by that and appreciate that. Um, please keep us in prayer is the second to last thing I'll say. Uh, the, the program itself, the kids that are in the program, uh, the teachers, they, they, we need your prayers, so please remember to do that. And the last thing I'll say is we do welcome your feedback. Hopefully it's constructive and brought in a constructive way, but we need it and we want it. So please don't hesitate, don't be shy. You can come talk to me anytime or one of the teachers, and uh, we, we'd value and welcome your feedback. So feel free to, to uh, give that as you see fit. And that is what I have, so I'll turn it back over to Brother Ben. Thank you, Brother Ben. Let's stand. Thanks, Brother Peter. We're going to ask the ushers to come this time. And then we'll get ready uh, for Brother Barry to come and... Uh, Brother David, if you could say the blessing on the offering. Amen. As we get ready to sing this, uh, let's also remember our pastor. He was on a late, late flight, early, early morning flight from Edmonton, Canada. Last night, uh, being there for Brother Hildebrandt's funeral. So let's remember him so he's wide awake this morning. Amen. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Right now We lift our hands And we bow our knees And worship at your throne For we need you, Lord Yes, we I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Right now. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. my hands and I bow my knees oh and worship at your throne for I need you Lord yes I need you Lord right now one more time as brother Barry comes we need you Lord you, Lord, we need you, Lord, 
Sister April Grant over in Ukraine today. We want to remember the believers that are over there, as Brother Frank mentioned. Uh, in Brother Steve's church, Steve Coffey's church, there was a tragic death yesterday, and young man, and uh, we certainly want to remember the Rowan family and uh, trust that the Lord will be uh, in their midst over the next few days for sure. Uh, Brother and Sister Smith also asked to be remembered in prayer and trusting that the Lord will give them strength and that healing touch they need. You hold your request right where you have it this morning and let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence this morning, we are thankful that we can turn to you, Lord. We've often said that. We've often expressed that, Lord. But we are truly thankful that we have a place to turn. We're not like the people, Lord, who do not know you and do not regard you. Lord, we are a people who know exactly where to go. We know exactly who to look to. Lord, we don't look to our own strength. We don't look to our uh, fellow man. We look to you, Lord, who is the author of life. You're the healer. You're the savior. You're the deliverer. You're the one who's able to comfort those that mourn. And Lord Jesus, there's not a need that's too great for you. And there's never too many of these needs for you. You're still Jehovah Jireh today, and I pray now that you administer to each request. Bless this gathering, we pray, Lord. May the shackles that would hold us back from entering into your presence, Lord, the obstacles that are in our pathway, Lord, may they all be laid aside today. May we take all of our worries, our fears, and our cares and lay them at the foot of the cross so that we can enter into your presence today. Forgive us of anything that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, maybe we be aware of your presence in a very great way today. We give you this service. We ask your blessing upon the mothers and each family, Lord. We commit our time here into your hands now in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. amen. And all the bride said, amen. amen and amen. You may be seated just for a moment. Uh, if you just hang on, musicians, uh, we'll, we'll put you back to work here. And let's bring up our PowerPoint. Uh, I certainly welcome all of you today. In the name of the Lord Jesus, it's good to see all of you uh, today and uh, appreciate you coming. Uh, the only exception is that none of you can fall asleep. Uh, that's for sure. If anyone gets to fall asleep, it'll be me first. All right. Uh, we are uh, grateful to have the McComases here today. That was an unexpected surprise, and uh, good to have them with us. And uh, as is the case with Brother Frank, uh, every year, you know, with the passage of time, we celebrate Mother's Day, Father's Day, and this is the first, maybe your first year without a mom and a dad. And uh, we certainly feel for you, and uh, just, uh, you know, you 
you always, um, I, I saw a, a, a mug yesterday as I was passing through the airport, and it said, no matter how old you are, you always need a mother. You always remember your mother. And I, it was just nicely put there. Now, um, I just want to make this statement here that when Brother Branham talked about mothers and motherhood, and we dealt with this at length uh, a little while ago, uh, Brother Manham often referred to this story. You remember when he was uh, hunting with that uh, with that uh, man who was not a believer at the time, but uh, he was a hunting guide up up in the north. And uh, Brother Manham went hunting with him, and he had a doe call with him. You remember, and uh, it imitated a fawn that was in distress, and uh, the mother deer stood out there. And Brother Branham uh, made an interesting comment about that deer. He said that genuine, loyal mother standing there. She wasn't a hypocrite. She wasn't just putting that on for a show. She was a mother. He said that's why she was doing it, and death didn't mean nothing to her. Her baby was in trouble, and she thought more of her baby than she did of her own life. Let the hunter shoot whatever it was. Her loyal heart was beating, her motherhood. The motherhood in her was calling, and her baby was crying. There's something real, something pulsating. Something inside of her pulsating was very real. Boy, that's a powerful thing. I, I just uh, know that there's no heart like a mother's heart, that's for sure. And uh, so we're thankful for all of our mothers and uh, for all of you that are uh, gathered here today. And um, uh, don't have my clicker here. So let's, uh, let's just uh, acknowledge a couple of birthdays here. May 6th was uh, Brother Billy Ivey's birthday. Uh, God bless you, Brother Billy. Appreciate you and American Airlines getting me home uh, last night. And that was not a late-night flight. That was a red-eye. And uh, it was, uh, I, left, uh, I left Seattle at 10 o'clock uh, last night and got here for breakfast at 6 a.m. with Lucas uh, this morning. So uh, it was quite a ride. May 8th. Uh, it was Sister Carrie Whitlock's birthday and Sister Jackie Sylvester's birthday. God bless you both. I won't tell the story, uh, but God bless you both. We appreciate you being here. May 9th uh, is Mitchell Buchanan's birthday, right? How old are you going to be, Mitchell? R- what? You sure? God bless you. We appreciate Mitchell. Megan, good to have you here today. May 10th uh, was Angela Pritchard's birthday. Sister Angela, we appreciate you very much. God bless you. And Sister Jen Irish is here. God bless you, Sister Jen. We appreciate you as well, and may God bless your day. And May 14th is Nathan Brown's birthday. How old are you going to be, Nathan? 15, really? Wow. Wonderful. God bless you. God bless you all. Well, let's stand to our feet, and I'd like to sing another little chorus here, if you don't mind. I'm amazed that you love me. And uh, I would just like to add a little footnote to the comments that Peter made. Thank you, my brother. Uh, A little footnote. Uh, Peter was talking about Sunday school, and I I just really appreciate his leadership in taking the steering wheel and helping organize the, the Sunday school. We have wonderful teachers who invest a lot. Uh, in the spiritual development of your kids and um, I'm just very excited about that because I think that's a really really important ministry that we have here in the church and today we're going to baptize one of the kids out of the Sunday school Anthony Clavel is going to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
And, uh, you know, we see these young, younger uh, kids coming and being baptized one at a time. That's, that's the evidence that something is being taught correctly in the church, in the home, and in the Sunday school. And, and they're, they're surrounded by the knowledge of good things. And uh, that's, that's the fruit that you have. And I'll tell you what, that's a, that's a good thing. So today we're going to baptize Anthony. And um, we're excited about that and just trust that God will continue to deal with uh, the hearts of our young people. I'm amazed that you love me. How you came through your precious blood. I found pardon My sins are washed away Sing it again now Yes, I'm amazed That you love me How you care through your precious blood, I found pardon, and my sins they're washed, yes, all washed away. All my sins, oh, sing it again now. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, I'm amazed. That you love me. I'm amazed how you care. I found pardon. They're all. Sweet Spirit, we're asking that you would just come, reach down and take control of every spirit, Lord. And may we submit ourselves to you today. Speak to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Book of Haggai, if you will, while you're standing, let's take our reading this morning. The book of Haggai is the third last book in the Old Testament. So going backwards, it's Malachi, Zechariah, and Haggai. We're going into chapter 2, and we'll begin reading at verse 5. Haggai 2, 5. According to the word that I covenant with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. To God, what he says is ever-present. Let me say that again. To God, whatever he says, it's ever-present. It's, it, it's as real to God hundreds of, hundreds of years later as it is when he said it. The, he said, this is a, what's happening is according to the word that I covenant with you back there. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations, which is Christ, 
shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. And the glory of this latter house, the house he's talking about, the one he's prophesying of, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. May God add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. I want to take a title this morning, The Greater is Coming. The Greater is Coming. A little while back, I I started uh, um, with a thought about how that, when the children of Israel came out of the wilderness and crossed over into the promised land, the very point of crossing, they ran into a town called Gilgal. And Gilgal was the beginning of the, uh, it was the beginning of the rest. It was the beginning of the placing of the children of Israel into the promised land. It was a significant place because there were significant things that were done there. And uh, it, it represented the end of something and the beginning of something else. It was like they had gone from this phase and now they were starting another phase. And uh, I, I want to use that this morning as a, uh, a thought in, uh, in just describing a little about this whole idea of the greater thing coming. Now, whenever God does something, uh, he, 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 he's always leading us a little higher. He's leading us a little closer to him. He's always taking us a little closer to the kingdom where we belong. He's always taking us back to original design where we came from. Uh, whenever, uh, for instance, if you look at the path of the tabernacle of God, the tabernacle of God started as a little box, right? It started as a, a portable unit that they carried with them throughout the wilderness. And God said, uh, it, it's not, it was not a trivial thing because it was small and portable. It was a place that housed the presence of God. So it was significant to God. It was important to God. And it was also designed by God, right? He gave the specs, didn't he? And uh, he, he designed it, he gave the vision to Moses, and he said, this is what I want to do. But when he gave that design to Moses, he had something else in mind that was greater than what he was giving Moses. But for that season, that's what God wanted the children of Israel to gather around, and that's where God was going to come and indwell. And then from there, he was going to, uh, you know, allow a vision to come of a greater place and Solomon's temple, and then uh, Jesus comes along and he says, hey, destroy this temple, and... Uh, we'll raise up another one, and that one's going to be greater than that one back there. And of course, you know, as we keep going on, all the time, it was, it was the, the idea of coming closer to what God had in his mind from the very beginning in the first place. And that's what God's always doing. He's always planning. He's always developing. He's always bringing us uh, closer to where we need to be. And uh, that original design is something that God takes very, very serious. And now, And when you stand back and you think about all the things that God... Uh, has given to us and bestowed upon us, plus all the things that are in store for us, we are really an extremely wealthy people, spiritually speaking. Would you agree? You know, you think about it, I was just, you know, uh, flying over Seattle yesterday, and uh, I, 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 just out of curiosity, I happened, there was a break in the clouds, and I was just, you know, looking out the window, and it's, it's a beautiful terrain out there in the west, and I was looking out the window, and uh, just it just struck me, I said, I wonder where Bill Gates' house is, because uh, it's bigger than mine, and I wondered if, if you know, I could see it, and I, 
I, I mean, I'd have no idea. Even if, I, if, even if we landed on, on it, I, I wouldn't uh, probably recognize it. But I was just curious, you know, because it, it's uh, supposed to be quite a massive place. And uh, I thought, wow, what a, what, a, what a life that he has to live where he's so wealthy, he has to quit work to try to work at giving away all of his wealth. He has so much wealth, he can't work and, and give away all the wealth that he has. So he had to quit work in order to give away wealth. And now that's wealthy. That's wealthy beyond most of us, what most of us would understand. But I need you to understand or think about it in this way, that we also, we also are a, an extremely wealthy people. We are a people who have been richly blessed by God. And the earth is the Lord's and, and everything that's in it. And the gold is mine, the silver is mine, everything is in it. And you, you are, hear me now, you're an heir of all things through Christ. And so therefore, when we get over into that place, it, it won't be a, uh, you know, labor that we'll pick up over there. Hey, we'll be enjoying the, the, you know, the presence of God and the things that God has in store. And eyes not seen and ears not heard all the things that are lay in store for God's people over there. To have wealth that will last throughout millions and billions of years and never be exhausted and never run out. Uh, we are a really blessed people because uh, in the mind of God, that's already ours. I said in the mind of God, that's already ours. And I trust that in your own heart, uh, you'll also begin to associate and align yourself with that. Because our experience is, uh, is, is a sure thing. Our experience of the, the path that God has led us to bring us to Him, uh, to be possessors of all things, that's a sure thing in the eyes of God. We are very human, and so sometimes we flop and we flounder and we doubt and we, uh, you know, we waver in our thinking and we're up and we're down, we're close to God, we're not close to God. That's how we feel uh, many times, let's be honest, and, and that's, uh, that's, those are all very normal human things. We, we wrestle with our past, we have a little trepidation about our future. Uh, there's things that are happening in the world we don't always understand. Uh, we thought we had it all figured out, and then all of a sudden something happens that we never figured out. Uh, we thought we had everything lined up in terms of expectation, and then all of a sudden things happened in the world that we never expected at all, right? Anybody remember, remember the virus that we had when we all became public health experts? And, uh, you know, it, it's just there's, there's curveballs that are thrown out there, and I've got news for you. I don't think we're done with the curveballs. I think we've probably got a lot more things that are on its road that we may not ex- may not be expecting. But uh, you know what? I, I'd say this. I, I'd say that uh, no matter what it is that our future holds, it's not us that's holding that future. And it's not us that's guiding us through that future. Uh, God has got it all under control, and uh, we can rest in him and follow his leadership. And I'll tell you what, that's the best path through the future uh, until we get over on the other side. Would you agree? And what I want to say today is very simple, but I, I want you to stay with me because we're going to incorporate some very interesting things here. Uh, I, I would say that our experience uh, is a sure thing uh, because God not only allows us to have an experience of salvation, but uh, there are things that God designed about us coming to him uh, that were well thought out and well planned and well established in his mind. As a matter of fact, he even wrote it down in a book, right? The Lamb's Book of Life wrote it down and made sure that it was uh, sealed, made sure that it was a secure thing, and uh, there was nobody going to come along and ru- rub that name off, nobody going to blot that name out. Once that name was on there, it was on there for all eternity, and somebody ought to say, Amen, thank you, Jesus. The Bible says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many, as many 
as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Every He came unto his own. That's exactly who he came to. And if my people, and this is the way God refers to his people uh, throughout all of scripture, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. God had in view a certain people, and that means that he had uh, a nation, like a, uh, you know, a, 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 a tribe, members of one's people, a fellow countrymen, related by a kinsman. These are a people that have a common bond. They have a common thread all the way through. And they are, they are considered a people, just like, uh, you know, the, um, the, the Indian tribes would be considered a people, and uh, the Americans and so forth. Even though we might be composed of people of other backgrounds, we come together under a flag. We come together under an identification that identifies us as a certain nation, certain, uh, certain people. And so this is very, a very important thing to God. This is not new to you, and I just want to uh, just introduce a few concepts here to you as we move along. Brother Branham says in the message, looking at the unseen, and a man's physical being to be taken care of is not all the reason God put him on the earth. Your physical being, the outer man, if you like, is not at all the reason why God just put you on the earth. He didn't want to... Uh, he didn't want you to be caught up in the physical aspects of life, and neither even to be caught up in your physique, even if you have an extraordinary one, right? Even if you have this uh, handsome or pretty persona about you, God didn't want you to put a lot of confidence in that because it's going to change, and God didn't want you to rest in that because eventually it's going to be extinguished if time goes on long enough, Right? Sorry, but that's the truth. So he says, your physical being, you know, to be taken care of is not all the reason God put you on the earth. He said, because what he does with this physical being, because what he does with this physical being amounts really to very little. It's the soul that counts. So your temple is a temple of the living God. And so it is important in that aspect that uh, the temple itself is not near as important as what goes into it, but you have to have something, uh, you have to have a, a house, you have to have a place, you have to have, uh, you know, a, a, a confined area. And that's what, uh, that's what this body is. It's a temple of the living God. And God, and listen, this is not my design. God chose to uh, indwell mankind, just like he did on the day of Pentecost. He came down and used those people and indwelt those people. But it's the inward man that did not come from the earth. It came from heaven. And that's the eternal part of the human being. I want to say to you this morning, that inward man is the one that we're focusing on because that inward man is going to something greater than the body here that God tells you not to care too much about. We look after it, we doctor it, we feed it, we groom it, you know, we prop it up, uh, we, we do all of those things, and yes, you should do all of those things and take care of yourself because it is a, a temple and you have stewardship over that, and, and that's right. We, we, we like to avoid pain, and we're thankful for all the ways that God's given us in our world to live in comfort. I'm thankful for the uh, comforts that we have. I, I know, you know, Brother Frank will tell you, you know, we go over in Africa and we uh, visit places over there. They have absolutely no health care whatsoever. It, in some countries, they'll tell you when you go in, it doesn't even exist. And so the people have to deal with pain. They have to deal with pain quite differently than what we do over here. 
I'm not saying that everything we have over here is, is fantastic, but uh, they, they, deal, they look at healing even differently because of that over there because they don't have the resources that we have. I will tell you, and I, I may have mentioned that uh, in Ukraine, because the, uh, several of the believers were locked in and locked down in their houses, they, uh, you know, they, they were going through all the natural uh, maladies of life. One of them had kidney stones, and uh, one of the brothers, and he could not go out. He, he could not... Uh, go to the hospital because as soon as he got out on the street or went into a public building like that, he would be taken by the authorities and put in the army. But he had a chronic problem with kidney stones, and so he was suffering greatly. And the believers in Donetsk, I believe it was, they spread the word. And when they did, uh, there was a, a group of sisters, old sisters, who were able to get out and move around. And they just assembled together. They sp- spread the word on the phone. Anyone who was near, they came over, and those sisters got together. And they sang a little chorus. They all laid hands on that brother. There was no more kidney stones after they were done praying. <clears throat> Brother Bram said that God heals in a number of different ways. He doesn't always have to heal one way. And you're better off not telling him how he's going to heal you. Let him do that. He's the healer, right? And so it's this inward man, though, that didn't come from the earth. It came from somewhere. And if it came from somewhere, it's going to go back to there. And when it goes back to there, it's going to be in a greater temple than the temple it's in now. The real me is going to go back to a real body after this body goes to the grave. Do you believe that? And I will tell you this, that God looks at the real me differently than I look at the real me. I look at the real me and I see, you know, I see, uh, old age coming on, you know, it's just beginning and I see, uh, you know, the wrinkles and you see the lack of stamina, see the lack of hair, you see, you know, a, a lack of, uh, even memory about what the old, the old young man used to look like. You have a lot of changes that are going on here. And I look at myself as in, in a, in a, uh, progressively weakened way. I do. Not weak, but weakened. Did we get that? Not weak, but weakened. So in other words, I may not be able to do what I did when I was 20, but I still want to. I might get injured doing it. doesn't matter. I'll still try. <clears throat> I just recover longer. It takes longer to recover. But now I'll tell you something. That's why God knows that in every one of us there's a sentence of death. But there's something inside of me that God's watching over. I say this, there's something inside of me that God's feeding every time we come to church. There's something inside of me that God is nurturing, that God is developing, that God is shaping, that God is molding. Because he knows exactly what I, the real I, look like before I got into this tabernacle right here. And when God knew me before the foundation of the world, there was no gray, there was no glasses, there was no, uh, there was no other problems there. I was young and healthy and strong in the body that God had. And then the fall came and so we're confined to these bodies here. But you know what? There's a greater one coming. Thank God there's a greater one coming. And it's that inward man that God's going to take from this earth and bring to that dimension and place in that body. And even Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, he said, I would have told you so. So I, I want to I just uh, describe this little path here, and you're familiar with this. We've done, uh, we, we've, we've done this in many different forms here. Uh, but I, I just want to uh, use this thought this morning that when we, when, we, when we come out, like the children of Israel, when they came out, 
They came out in stages or they came out in phases. And the first thing that they would have experienced would have been the bondage or the position they were in before uh, God came on the scene. So that would be phase number one. Uh, they were in a place where they could not escape themselves. They could not release themselves uh, by their own power. And we would, we would agree that's true. And we could all relate to that because we were, uh, all of us born in sin, we were probably involved in things that we could not change ourselves. We uh, maybe look for meaning, we look for release, we look for liberty, we look for something real, and we could not find it ourselves. We could not achieve it ourselves. And I tried. I, I looked for something real. I, I, I traveled around the world to try to find something that was real and, uh, you know, lasting, something permanent, something I could sink my teeth into. And I always said uh, that I never wanted to just have a house in the suburbs with four kids and a station wagon and a dog and grow up that way and grow old and die. I, I thought, I just don't want to do that. Uh, I wanted to find something more. So I went in search. Uh, to find more and something real. And then uh, on, the, on my list of things I was searching for, God wasn't there. And uh, even though he wasn't there, God came and put himself on the number one slot on my list. He crossed out everything else and, and put himself right on that slot, on the top, uh, top number right there. And uh, when I found him, let me tell you, everything else on that list really didn't matter. Because when you have him, you, you have it all. You have a peace that passes understanding. And so you're, then you're not trying to fill it up with money or you're not trying to fill it up with fame or something else. And ironically, I wound up living in the suburbs with four kids, a station wagon and a dog and happy as a, uh, you know, a, 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 a hog at a trough. <laughs> so there was things about our, 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 our life that were, that lacked peace. They lacked sense. They lacked logic. They lacked destiny. They lacked uh, vi- our, our lives lacked vision. Uh, they lacked joy. They lacked communion with a higher power. Uh, every one of us can, can relate to the same thing. And then the second thing I'd say is that when Israel uh, saw God come on the scene because it was spoken that God would bring the children of Israel back to the promised land and they knew that promise, they had the experience of coming out. And what a glorious thing that was, because they could not, they could not cast off the shackles that Pharaoh had put on them, but uh, God came and released that. He overpowered the superpower. Can you say amen? He overpowered the superpower. I believe we serve the same God today as they did back then, and I believe God, as a superpower, is able to overthrow the superpowers that hold you back. I believe no matter what it is that holds a person back, I believe our God is able to overthrow that power because he's an all-powerful God. Thirdly, as they came out and they left Egypt, they practiced separation. They learned what it meant to be separate from every other nation and to be different from every other nation. And then God began to dress them. God began to define them. God began to give them a way of worship and a way of conducting their lives and a way of executing justice. All of those things that God told the children of Israel out there defined them as a separate people. And so separation was not just, uh, I'm over here and everybody else is over here. Uh, separation was that God was going to put in them or invest in them uh, insights in a, into how to live on this earth like people in the kingdom would live. And when you follow God's way of living, it's better than the people of this world live. All right, let me say it again. When we live according to God's ways and God's, God's, uh, God, within God's boundaries, the boundaries that he sets, it's a better life than how the people in the world 
actually live. One of the things about that separation that is a blessing and a bonus is that we have access to God all the time. If you've gone through these steps of, uh, you know, coming out of bondage and, and coming out of uh, sin and coming out of Egypt and you have a separation unto God, you have an access to God. And even as important, God has access to you. And I want God always to have access to me. I don't want to live in such a way or even have a root of bitterness or a rebellious spirit or a critical spirit or something where the Holy Spirit would not want to come near. I always want to live in such a way that He would have access to me. Because there are things I want Him to show me. There are are ways I want Him to lead me. There are things I want Him to give me. There are things that I want Him to touch me with. I don't want to have to uh, see Him come so far and then have to turn back. I want him to be able to come all the way whenever he wants to. And then the fourth thing would be the, uh, the act of possessing what God wanted the children of Israel to, to possess. Does that make sense? That they, they were in bondage and they had to come out. They, they, they had that uh, experience of coming out under the supernatural hand of God. And all of a sudden they were awakened to the power of this God and the reality of this God. They'd never seen God operate in action like that before. Hey, they were a people who had 400 years of stories of increasing bondage. Right? They had 400 years of stories of the decline uh, of, the, of the kingdom of Egypt after the death of Joseph. When Joseph died, things changed. And they progressively got worse and worse until they were crying out to God to deliver them from this wretched place. And then God moved and sent Moses down to get them out. Right? So they came out in a glorious supernatural way. And then they were separated unto God. And God began to teach them. And God began to wash them. And God began to heal them. God began to uh, separate them in their thinking and their ways uh, in relation to where they came from, which is out of Egypt. But then, it, remember now, redemption is, is two parts, right? Two parts. Redemption is coming out of and going into. So therefore they had to possess what God had released them or freed them to possess. That's what they had to do. So number one, we say that when, when God, uh, when, when the children of Israel were in bondage, uh, they were attracted all of a sudden to a voice. They were attracted by the light that God began to show. Now, uh, Brother Branham tells it in a number of different ways. He talks about that mother eagle, right? So most of us have heard the story about how that, uh, you know, there was an eagle, an eagle egg that was taken and hatched among the chickens there, and that eagle comes over. It was, it was only one of his kind that could help that eaglet identify who he was, right? Only an eagle could do that. Only there was no no impersonator uh, could could help that little eaglet identify, uh, you know, that he really was not a chicken. He was trying to be a chicken. He was trying to be like everybody else, but uh, nothing else but the voice of of, an, of that mother eagle really helped him identify who he was. So Brother Branham tells it that way in, in, in the in the sounding of it. But remember now that whenever God sounds. It doesn't necessarily have to be a physical, literal voice, but there's a there's an expression or there's a, a manifestation of God's word in a particular time, and the manifestation of His word causes an attraction. It causes an attraction within the elect. The elect realize, wow, this is this is something different. This is all of a sudden got my attention, and this is something greater than what I've got now. 
And for most people who are thirsting and longing for uh, something real in their life, they're realizing, wow, this is this. Now all of a sudden we're, we're moving in the right direction here towards what I've longed for. And sometimes you didn't even know what you were longing for, but said so there's something ringing right. There's something ringing true. There's something all of a sudden hidden here on all the cylinders and it's working right. I told you before about my time up in British Columbia when I lived up there and, uh, I was working in the garage up there and, uh, they, I'm not a mechanic, not at all. And um, I remember the, there, was a, uh, there was a car that was up on the ramp, and I used to help change the oil. It was one of those, the old time when somebody came out and pumped gas in your, you know, and did your windshield. Remember that? I did that. And uh, I, was, uh, I was the gas pumper, and, and I, you know, helped people when they came and, and did things like that, changed their wiper blades, filled them up with gas and all the other things. Well, in the slow time, they had a car that was up on the ramp, and uh, we were doing a, we were doing some sort of procedure up there with it. Oh, they were doing brakes, is what they were doing. The mechanic was doing brakes, and uh, it was near closing time. And uh, uh, I, man, I could still see it in my eye, just as if it happened yesterday. And so, and this was in the 1970s, all right. And so, it was near closing time. So, uh, one of my jobs was to take in the tire rack out of the parking lot. You know, in the old garages where they had the tires in a rack, and there were one level, two levels, sometimes three levels. Remember that? And they roll that in, and uh, we put it inside the, the garage door, the big garage door. And so just before the closing time come, the mechanic wasn't finished with the brakes, but he said, uh, listen, if you don't mind, uh, he said there's a car that needs to get up on the ramp real quick, and something needs to be done. So let's just put the brake lines back on this car real fast and lower it down. Let's get it out. And uh, uh, we'll just roll this one in. I'll roll this one in. You, you, you just do that. I said, hey, no problem. No problem. So I took the brake line uh, screws on the, on the bottom of it there, and I was looking up, and I screwed those babies in there. And I felt, I felt like a real mechanic. I, I felt really good about doing that. And then so I stood aside, and I said, all right, look out, everyone. I'm going to lower this down. And I'm, you know. And then I realized all of a sudden in the corner of my eye, and somebody yelled at the same moment, that the corner of the car had caught the tire rack as it was coming down. And so here's this car halfway down on the rack, and it's starting to go like this because the corner of the car is caught on the, on the tire rack. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, well, what, what a great mechanic I am. You know, here I am. And so they, he squealed at me, and I had to raise the car up and move the car rack and get down. So anyway, so I, I said, all right, I'll back it out. I backed it out of the, uh, of the bay, and I was bringing it around to the back. And uh, when I went to press the brake, uh, no brakes, no brakes whatsoever. And here I had, had uh, missed the treads on the, on the brake lines, and so the, it was just squirting this way underneath there. When I stepped out, it was you know, you step in a pool of brake fluid. and uh, but, but thankfully, I got to stop before there was too much other damage there. I went back to pumping gas soon after that. <laughs> in, our, in our efforts and in our zeal, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're looking for things that are real, things that, that make sense, that we're... We're a people who, as the people of, of Egypt did, they were, they were attracted to something real. They knew that God had made promises. They didn't know how it was going to come to pass. They didn't know that one man with a stick was going to show up. But that's, that's what God had in mind when he made the promise that I'll send a strong hand 
a deliverer and I'll take you out of Egypt and bring you back into the promised land that I gave to, to Moses. And so, whatever it is about that voice, and when I was out living out in that way, that was one of the things that I was doing, was looking for something that's real. I didn't know how it was going to come, I didn't know what form it was, and I didn't know whether, whether it included uh, anything religious or whatever else, but I was, ju- I was on the path, I was looking for something real. And that voice, that, that attraction, I can assure you, is strong enough to take you out of where you are, out of your, out of your church, out of your lifestyle. It's, it's strong enough to take you out of your sinful past. It's strong enough to take you out of your habits. It's strong enough to take you out of your addictions. Come on, somebody say amen. It's strong enough to take you out of your circle of friends. It's strong enough to take you out of your, uh, you know, out of your habits and out of your way of life. And it's able to, to cause you to walk now in a way that you'd never walked before. I'm willing, I'm willing to lay everything down to pursue this. I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm willing to lay everything down to pursue it. There's something about that voice. There's something about that attraction. And every one of us have got to experience that. It's a deep calling to the deep. And there could not be something calling unless there was something over there to respond. And I will tell you what, the evidence evidence that you heard that voice and the evidence that you responded to that attraction is the evidence that there's something over there calling you to that place. And that place is greater than this place. We don't follow it because we think we're going to get something better. We follow it because we really have no choice. We follow it because it's real. We follow it because it's something true and rings true in our hearts. And it's able to pull us out of our worst depravity and bring us into our, into our right mind and cause us to sit at the feet of Jesus. So that attraction is a, is a powerful thing. And the children of Israel had to go through that in that first phase, if you like, or that first step. Uh, they had to go out of that bondage. They had to know uh, what bondage was, and then they had to experience a release from it. The second thing they went through, as I said, is they had to have that going out experience. They had to have that supernatural display of God's power so they could realize, hey, if we get out of this, it won't be our power, it'll be God's power. And you can see God doing things like that because He wants you to get your eyes turned on Him. You want, you, God wants, God wants the people who are coming out to make sure that they're, they're realizing this is not my ingenuity. This is not my uh, faculties here. This is not my brains or my money. This is God's power that's getting me out. This is God's power that's bringing me into a whole new family here. This is God's power that's able to cleanse me, that's able to wash me clean. And so we call that a new birth. And a new birth is a gate that opens up. And when that gate opens up, uh, there, is, there is all of a sudden light that we begin to see. And if you, if I, I liken it to this way, that, that Acts 2.38 really is a gate that allows you to see what's beyond the tall fence, the fence that's taller than you. You'll never see the bounty of Scripture. You'll never see the bounty and the blessing of the promises of God until you get behind this wall. And Acts 2.38 is a gateway through that, and on the other side there are good things. A person, very often, I, and you know, we'll baptize today, and very often, I, you know, the people who I talk to want to get baptized, and I was the same way. I don't know what seven seals means. I don't know what seven thunders mean. I don't know what, uh, you know, the rapture really is. I don't know what about the tribulation. I don't know about the wedding supper. I, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of idea about that. I only know this one thing. That I need to repent and be baptized. I need to be saved because I realize, first of all, I'm lost. And i got to deal with that question. 
And the sin question has to be settled for every one of us. So i got to come out. And if I come out and go through that gate, all of a sudden God opens up more to me and God shows us things. Isn't that your story today? That's the narrative. That's what God does. He allows us to see. Because Brother Jason Watkins was here a, number, a couple of years ago and he said that the greatest ex- existential threat, and existential means from without, the greatest threat for mankind is the darkness and the lack of awareness of the darkness that hides the power of darkness the world is getting darker and darker all the time but naturally when people look out they can't see much change they just see maybe bad politicians and a weak economy and all the rest of it higher mortgage rates and higher gas prices and so forth and they think well you know another election will fix that we go into another cycle and we'll fix it they don't realize that there are powers in the earth that are bringing more darkness and more more difficulty more uh more motion towards tribulation all the time and have no idea that it's really happening imagine now being in darkness and not know you're in darkness you're driving, you're driving around in the darkness and, and you don't feel like you've got to put on your lights because you don't even know you're in darkness. I mean, it'd be a terrible thing for you to be uh, caught in darkness and have absolutely no idea that that's where you are. But it's only the light of God that allows the darkness to be, uh, to be manifested, right? To be able to see it. And we are the light that's pushing against the darkness that's trying to overtake this world. Here you are, a little speck of light that's in this earth. And your, your, your light is more powerful than the darkness that's sweeping over this world. So you're able to continue to walk in light. How many of you are thankful for that? that? God's given you a light that cannot be extinguished by anything in this world. And so we're able to walk in the midst of darkness. And that darkness is not more powerful than the light that's in you. And so God allows you to be able to walk in light. And he be able, allows you to be able to see where you're going. And there are people out there that have all kinds of wrong conclusions because of the darkness they're in. They think the vaccination is the mark of the beast. They think microchips are the mark of the beast. They think, uh, you know, all kinds of things about, uh, you know, the Pope. And I- I'll tell you what, when this is all over, they're going to see the Pope in the-, in the role of a peacemaker. Saying peace and safety and... Listen, there's a there's an answer here, boys. There's a solution here. Let me take care of it. And the world will not run from him in fear. They will rather embrace him as the peacemaker he's prophesied to be. And the world will not realize that that's a result of the darkness that they're standing in. And the light of God, and only the light of God, allows you to see the real truth of what's going on. So we have come into a light. We've come into a kingdom. And all of a sudden now, we have access to God and God can speak to you through that light. Hey, thank God for a prophet in this last day who made the word of God understandable and knowable and within reach of every one of us. It's not too complicated. It's not too scholastic. It's not too intellectual for any one of us. It's been made plain. The vision has been made plain. Thank God for a plain vision. Because you know what? Most every one of us can read and understand. You don't have to be a theologian or an expert in order to understand what God has said in our time. There are lots of things that God has uh, given us to know. Over in Second Kings chapter 6, uh, you know the, the king of Syria is over here. And every time he goes to fight a battle, the Israelites show up and they defeat him in battle. And he's saying, hey, hey, who here is a traitor? Somebody's got to be a traitor. And finally somebody says, you know what? There's a prophet in the land over there. And prophets tend to know what's going on. Even in your bedchamber, no one needs to tell them at all. Well, let's find that prophet and let's destroy him. You know, I mean, that was his attitude. And he missed the whole point of having a prophet among them. Hey, folks, wake up. There's a lot of people who miss the point of having a prophet among us. 
I would say this even respectfully, that there's a lot of people even who have been associated with the message of the hour uh, don't really fully realize uh, what, it, what it means to have a prophet among us. If, if you have a prophet among you, and a prophet's got the word of the Lord, because the word of the Lord comes to the prophet, uh, then what that prophet brings as a channel is not up for debate. If I'm, if I'm speaking that word that a prophet brought, uh, and that is in line, in harmony with Scripture, uh, you, you gotta, you got to seriously look at that, even if you don't like me. And some of you don't like me. I know that. I'm not being funny. I... I, I we, we all have, we all have seasons where, uh, you know, there are things sometimes that you have to roll up your sleeves and wade into and, and deal with. And it's not always pleasant. I mean, there are things that are hard to deal with in this life. And, uh, you know, there, there are situations that arise and there are discussions that need to be had. I, I, I got news for you. And I, I don't mean to say this in a wrong way, but, uh, I'm not here to be everybody's best friend, best buddy. Sometimes you need somebody to get up in your grill and say, that ain't right. Sometimes we need to, we need to be real honest with one another. And, and that goes both ways. And sometimes we need to, uh, you know, just be real honest because that's the, that's, the, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be shaped and molded in a right way. He wants us to be corrected and He wants us to be open to His Word so that He can get us out of here very quickly. Because it's going to come very quickly. That's what's going to happen. So there are, there are things here that, uh, you know, God wants to say to you and, and God wants, He wants to have access to you. Just like, uh, you know, the, the, the Israelites had access to what their enemy was planning in the, in the king's bedchamber. Israel had access to that because they were in tune with God. They were walking with God. Isn't that right? And they had a prophet and the prophet channeled things to the people of God. And so, they had access to God, and therefore their victories came. But God also had access to them, and He wanted them to open their heart to His Word. And He didn't want them to stray away and get hard-hearted and get indifferent and get lukewarm and get uh, taking everything for granted. God didn't want the people to, to, to be that way. He wanted them to have uh, you know a continual sense that, uh, I need God. I need God every day. I need God more than I need anything else. God's got a great big volume button. He knows how to turn the volume up in your life. All right, third phase. Let's, let's do this. Now, here's where you need to take your Bible. Genesis chapter 13. I don't think I have it in my screen here, but I'm not following my screen here this morning. Genesis chapter 13. Let's take a look here. This is a familiar passage, but there's a couple of things in here I think are worth getting the old highlighter out and marking. Genesis chapter 13. Now, this is Abraham in journey. This is Abraham in motion. And he's going to uh, the land that God's going to show him. All right? Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10. We'll pick it up here. The lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. Now, what's interesting here in this passage is that from chapter 13, verse 1, all the way down to verse 14, God doesn't say a word. There's nothing in this, in this first portion of the chapter here that God is saying. But in the journey, 
listen now, in the journey, and what we're talking about now is this third phase of this third phase, which is the separation thing. We talked about being in bondage and, and realizing that we're in bondage and then the coming out part. We have more to say about that. But this, this idea of separation now, God got, God's got Abraham and he tells him, separate yourself from your kindred and your land. Put your house up for sale. Great time to put your house up for sale. And move to a land that I will give you. So Abram does that. He puts the for sale sign down in front of his house. For sale by owner. And his neighbor comes over and says, hey, you're, you're moving. Yeah, I'm moving. Why? Don't rightly know. Well, where are you going? Don't rightly know that either. Uh, how will you know when you get there? Don't rightly know that either. Uh, who sent you? I can answer that. God told me to go. This is new for Abram because he's a root, he's a, a, a root seller. He's a, uh, he's the one who sells idols in the marketplace. And so now all of a sudden Abram's got, you know, God's got access to Abram and Abram's got access to God and God's telling him, Abram, get out from your kindred, your country and go to a place that I will show you. So I'm not showing you now, but I'm going to show you. And so Abram sells the house, and off he goes. All the entourage, his father comes, Lot comes, all the, the, the shepherds and the workers and the laborers, and everybody comes, the lackeys come along, all the poor cousins who are looking for a new job, they come along, everybody, you know, uh, in, in the parade. So off they go. And as they, as they leave out, and Abram's moving into the promised land here, there's something that changes in Lot's mind over the course of the journey. Right? Because why does Lot leave? He leaves because Abraham leaves. Ab- Lot never left on his own and Abraham follow, you know, caught up with him. Lot followed a- Abram. Right? But in the journey, in the journey, something changes. So now he's got a different view. He's got a different way of looking at the world than what he did when he began. So in other words, I'm, I'm going with Abram. Abraham, you know, God's somehow or another, this God is dealing with Abram. I'm going to go along and he's going to follow him. But now when he gets the opportunity and Abraham begins to speak to him and, and his words here are, are actually without, without any kind of malice, and I'm not suggesting that at all, but without any kind of malice, what Abraham says to Lot causes a separation. And it was almost like that Lot jumped on that opportunity because he's thinking differently about the world. He's got his eye on Sodom over there. Well, let me say it this way. He's left a little bit earlier than when his feet actually left. Because he's viewing the well-watered plains of Sodom down there and sees the city and sees the golden opportunity. I can make money down there. I can sell converters. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I can, I can buy a McDonald's franchise down there. I can, I can do this, you know. I mean, I mean, this is, this is a, this is interesting. I can, I can do lots of things. All of a sudden now, and I'll tell you that I, I believe that the reason that Lot could think that way and lean that way is because he didn't have in him what Abram had in him. And that's the only reason. Because later on, Lot gets out, doesn't he? I mean, Lot, even with his, with, you know, the plans that he has, it doesn't go so well. Because he's not following God now. He's, he's, he's just following his own instincts here. He's following his own feelings about Sodom. And as a matter of fact, what he gets into and what happens, we really shouldn't even be talking about in the pulpit. 
You know what his daughters and stuff, right? But eventually, Lot gets out, and we know that, you know, the Moabites come from that, and Ruth comes from that down the road here. But, uh, I mean, the whole reason that Lot's in that predicament is because all of a sudden he, he's got other seeds that are falling in there. And, and he's looking at this, the world in a different way than Abraham's looking at it, and he's willing to go this way. But he thinks he can handle it, and he thinks he can prosper by it, and he thinks he can, ha- you know, he can, hey, I'll make this work. I got it. You know, it's fine. Great. Abraham, you go your way. And Abraham just simply said, hey, if you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you take the right, I'll go to the left. So for Abraham, he didn't have his eye on anything except the will of God. And he knew that if he was in the boundary of the promised land, you know what? That's where he needed to be. So he didn't have his eye, he didn't have an agenda when he said that to Lot. He just said, hey, I'm going to give you the choice. I'm going to give you the benefit of making the first choice here and the first call. And off you go. And so uh, his, his, uh, his way of dealing with life then takes a drastic change because, as you know, when the angels went down there to investigate Sodom later on in Genesis chapter 18, when, when they go down there, they find a very different uh, Sodom than what Lot bargained for when he, when he turned his eyes towards Sodom. And he's even at the place where he says, here, I got two daughters, take my daughters out here and leave these, leave these men alone. I mean, this thing has gotten pretty bad, right? But you know what's interesting is that before... God goes down to investigate Sodom in Genesis chapter 18. He turns to the others and he says, this is my servant Abraham. And he said, look at how he runs his house. He said, I know that he'll order his house well. And, and God commended Abraham for the way that, uh, you know, he, 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 he valued family and valued his household and structured things and the way he lived his life. God, God, God re- remarked that. God, God mentioned that in Genesis chapter 18.10. And so here's the only priority, the only difference is, is that Lot's got his view on something else and Abram's got his view on the mind of God and the will of God and he follows that. And let me tell you, that blessing trickles down all the way from Abraham and Sarah all the way down to their whole household. And everybody in the household is blessed. And he's got a pretty big household. You remember because uh, when he went to rescue Lot in Genesis, in Genesis 15, he took his trained servants. And there was a couple of hundred of them and took them and went and found Lot. Are you still with me? So he's got a pretty big household. But his whole household is blessed because Abraham's simply doing one thing. He never took his eyes off God. He's got his eyes on God. And he's believing that God's got a will for him and a purpose for him. And he's following that. And he's happy to follow that. And he's not interested in what Lot and Sodom has to offer. He's not interested in anything else. He's sold out lock, stock, and barrel to the will of God. Do I have anybody here that's sold out lock, stock, and barrel to the will of God? You shouldn't be just sold out to, the, to coming to church. But we should be sold out to the will of God. I'm going to look at that. I'm going to, I'm going to follow your leading to marry this person, not marry that person. I'm going to go here. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to uh, hold off until uh, I know exactly what God's will is because the, the vision is, is, the, is the primary thing. The vision is the important thing. Now, if you don't mind, while you got your Bible open in Jan- Genesis chapter 13, I just want to point this out that there is, there is this kind of discussion that goes on between Lot's servants and Abram's servants. And uh, in Genesis, in the 13th chapter here, there was, all right, sorry, back in verse 9, Verse 7, verse 8 there, and there was strife between the herdsmen of 
Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife. Let there be no strife. Because if, if, we're, if we're moving under God's instruction, we should not, not want to have strife among us. And as a result of that, as long as that contentious kind of a spirit is in the camp, we find from Genesis 13.1 all the way down to 14, God says nothing. God says nothing. Because you know why? Brother Branham teaches us this. God doesn't come into an atmosphere of strife. God doesn't come into an atmosphere of contention. God doesn't come into a place when there's, uh, you know, people have their swords pointed at each other instead of pointed at the enemy. We think, we think, well, hey, you know, God's going to continue to reveal things to me. Well, no, he doesn't. Because he's not going to violate his own word. And so this is, the, this is the pattern that we find here. And I think it's one that's worth taking note of because there's nothing happening here from God. The conversation is between Lot and, and, and uh, Abram. And the conversations are between Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen. But God is saying nothing. God allows this to happen. God allows this whole thing to unfold here. And he's not intervening in this at all because it's all done in the wrong atmosphere. And until that atmosphere changes, as soon as Lot separates and off he goes here, and they make, you know, they make a, uh, Abram did not uh, separate from Lot in uh, anger or bitterness or anything like that. Abram just stood back and he said, hey, listen, let's, let's settle this this way. You, our herds are getting bigger. You go whichever way you like and I'll go the other way. We'll settle it this way. And then as soon as that happens, and there's now, we're closer now to what God had intended, which was God dealing with Abram. And now, all of a sudden, God begins to speak again. Hmm. You want to get something out of church, we should come and settle our differences. You know, uh, uh, God's been dealing with me, and, and not, not here, not in our own assembly here, but God's been dealing with me. And, you know, with ministers, there are times when, you know, we may, we may disagree. And uh, I, I don't think that there's ever been a season in the New Testament church where you, every minister of every uh, every minister of every stripe agrees with every minister of every stripe. I think that that's that's uh, that's that's not gonna that's not gonna happen. That's never happened. That's not, I'm, I'm, we're not proud of it, uh, but we might have a different opinion about a certain portion of scripture or a certain thing that Brother Branham said. But there's kind of a thin line between disagreeing with somebody over doctrine and having something there between you that you need to make right. There's a thin line there, but there's, there's a line, but there's a thin line. And when it crosses over into something you need to make right, you know what you should do? You should go make it right. Amen. And I've had to practice that. I've had to do that. And even when I felt like I was not the person who did anything wrong, but I felt like the only way we're going to break the impasse, the only way we're going to blow up the log jam, and the only way we're going to get the river flowing again is if somebody goes to the cross and somebody says, hey, I come to you as my arms open here. Come to you with an olive branch. Let's make it right. Let's do what we can. 
And I'm not saying that, you know, because I'm a saint here. I'm saying that because sometimes God deals with us. And I guess sometimes I get the feeling that there's enough happening in the world that God could shut this down in a heartbeat. And I don't want to be caught on the wrong side of not doing something I should have done. Even if it may seem small in my eyes. And if I told you, it may seem quite small in your eyes. But it bothers me enough for me to... Remember it and think about it and realize I gotta do something about that. Because if God shut it all down and we're on our way to the marriage supper, I would not want to have to stop and say, man, should have done it. I just thought I'd drop that in there. Take your Bible for a minute. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 8, if you don't mind. Leviticus, the book of the Levites. I'm not gonna be much longer here, but I just want to look at this. I wanted to, I wanted to just to get to this uh, third part here on the separation because there's a whole lot of pieces to this puzzle here. Leviticus chapter 8. Now you can, you can take your time and read this. And this is one of those chapters that's kind of interesting. It is a lot of detail as you go through 8, 9, 10, and, and, uh, the, the following chapters after that. But this is where, this is where, starting off in verse 1, the Lord spake unto Moses. So this was not Moses' idea. This was not Moses' invention. This is something that God figured out he wanted done. This is God's will, all right? So let's, let's just settle that and we'll move on. And this is what God wanted done. He said, now, uh, I need you, Moses, he said, to go to these people who are going to minister. And I want you to take all of those people, in verse 2, Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, and the bullock and the sin offering, and the rams, and the basket of unleavened bread. You know, he, he's coming into church with a cartload of stuff. And in verse 3, he says, and gather all the congregation together. I want everybody to watch this. I want everybody to be a witness of this. And come to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses did. And in verse 5 and verse 6, and Moses brought Aaron and his sons there, and he washed them with water. And this is what this is what Moses did. Come on up here, Brother Jackson. Lay down your Bible there for a sec. Don't lay it down for good. And so come on up here. And this is what this is what uh, uh, Moses did. Now Moses is only doing this because He's, he's looking at his notes, right? He's got his notepad here, and he's just checking it, uh, all the old garments, okay? So he takes all the old outer garments off, off Aaron and his sons, and he's actually doing this. And, he, and he's, he's stripping all those off, and he's, he's got all of that, you know, in a heap over here. So they don't have anything from the old order or the old journey, the old way of doing things. And then he, he makes a check, and he says, all right, now what am I supposed to do? And he, so he says, all right, wash. So he takes a, uh, you know, the, the washing gear that he's got, and he, and he kind of, you know, you, you can imagine, I mean, it's almost like he rolls up his sleeves. He begins to wash, and he puts that water, and that water runs all the way down. And the idea is that he's, he's, he's removing all the old stuff that was there. He's separating him from everything that was on there. Everything that he came up here with, we're going to get rid of that. I will tell you, that's exactly what God wants in your life. He, 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 there's no difference today. He wants you to be washed by the water of the word. And he doesn't want you to come into to the presence of God and carry all the old dirt and junk and mud and all the old bitterness and everything else that you uh, grew up with and you came into the presence of God with. He doesn't want you to carry that or wear that forever. He wants to wash that away from you. But who did he tell to do that? He told a prophet to do that. And what, what we know that the value of the prophet is that the word of the Lord comes to him. Listen, folks, we are a blessed people to have had a prophet come in our day. 
A word that could wash us clean and take care of everything there. And he's, and he's washing this person completely off here. And he's, and he, the idea is that everything that's bad, everything that's dirty, everything that's not pleasing to God is gone. The old garments are gone. The old way of life is gone. And the old filth is gone. So this is a, uh, it's not a literal washing, but God is interested in what goes on inside here. And God's interested in what goes on here and in here and in here. And God's interested in washing all of that and making sure that there's none of that old stuff that's left there. Brother Branham used to be a boxer, right? And he had a, uh, you know, he kind of had a boxing mindset. You listened to him and he had, had that way about him. And, you know, as a person growing up the way he did in the community he did in the life that he did, uh, you know, he had, uh, he, a lot of times he had to fight his way out. He had a temper, right? When those guys came to him, met him on the road and beat him up and hit him in the face and so forth, he went and got his gun. He was going to shoot him. That's a, that's a temper. That's a temper. You don't see the temper on the outside. But the watching of the water of the word knows that there's temper in there and we got to wash that. And if you sit in the presence of God long enough under the right word, it'll wash everything away that doesn't belong there, is not pleasing to God, and it's going to keep you out of the kingdom. God's interested in washing that away. You feel better? But you know what? We're not done. And Moses checks the book again. This is what the Lord said unto Moses. New garments. So he goes and he gets in his wagon and he gets the new garments and he takes these new garments and, and he begins to dress them and put it on there. Buddy, you'll feel anointed when you put that on. Come on, go ahead. Take the other arm there. You got two. God gave you two. <clears throat> Look at that. He's a new man. He's got a new outfit on now. He's, a, he's not, not wearing the same. He's not going through life in the same way as what he, what he used to now. He's, he's, he's got the old stuff. All things are passed away, right? All things have become new. Paul takes that same idea and brings it right into the New Testament here. So he's got new garments on now. But I'll tell you what, God doesn't stop there because he looks at his book. You read Leviticus chapter 8. Oh, the thumb. Oh, okay. So God says, all right, now. You take a ram and take a dove and take a sin offering here and slay them and take the blood and sprinkle it over the congregation, sprinkle it over the tabernacle right there, and then leave a little bit of blood and take it and, and anoint his thumb. The thumb of his right hand. Do you know why we're going to anoint that thumb? You don't suck your thumb, do you? He, he's going to anoint the thumb of his right hand. Because that represents what he does. Everything he handles, everything he touches. Whether it's a phone, whether it's another person, whether it's the channels on the internet. Whatever you do now, he's got to do it with a sanctified thumb. Are we done? No. Nope. The ear. So he takes the blood and he anoints him on his right ear. The tip of his right ear. Because this represents the senses. What he sees, what he hears, what he smells, what he, uh, what he takes in. This is the, now we're going a little bit deeper inside. And so God wants now to make sure that everything that comes into him is sanctified because it's got to go through the blood. Oh, saints of God, may every one of us be mindful of the fact that God wants everything to be able to pass through the blood. That's what he wants inside you. Not things that would be, uh, you know, prevented from going in there. But he wants everything to go through the blood and come on the inside to affect his senses there. He doesn't anoint his heart. Because God's going to do that. He's going to take that stony heart out. Isn't that right? 
He doesn't take your ear and he doesn't take your thumb, but he does take your heart out and puts another one in there. And I'll get to that later. That's in the back of the book. But he says, is that it? The toe. You read it. I'm not making it up. Give me your right toe. Leave it attached. Moses gets down and anoints the tip of his right toe. And now, everywhere he goes, he's going to walk in a sanctified way for the rest of his life. The blood now is the first thing that arrives when he gets in into wherever he's going. The first thing that, that, that is represented is the blood that's on that right toe, because that's his leading foot. And he goes in there. His right toe, his right foot, he's right here. God's got him covered. He's got him anointed here. So it's not enough just to come and take off your old stuff. It's not enough just to leave your old church, your old denomination, or to leave your old ways. That's not enough. You gotta be washed by the washing of the water of the word. God wants to remove a lot of the old stuff and the old beliefs and the old bitterness and mom and dad's way and grandma and grandpa's way. God wants to wash all of that off. Do you believe God can wash grandma and grandpa's ways away from you? Come on, do you believe that the blood of Christ is stronger than the genes that make him what he is? Yes, sir. All things are passed away. And God wants to wash that person and make sure there's nothing left of that except a frame, basically. And then he's going to dress us in the garments of his word. But before we head out, he's going to anoint us so that we walk into this world anointed and under the blood. And there's a protection under the blood, isn't there? There's a sanctification under the blood. There's a reminder continually that he's got to be listening to the right thing. He's got to be touching the right thing. He's got to be going in the right places. And the blood represents that which was the life of the creature that died, which eventually would mean that the Holy Spirit, when he anoints us for this world under the token, we'd be able to walk into this world in a sanctified way, in a very unsanctified world, in a very dirty and filthy world, and a world filled with all kinds of reminders of what you used to be, and a world filled with all kinds of filth and invitations to come and act a certain way. But, you know, when even when you, in your humanness, think about it, well, you know, for old girls, you're going to cut her hair, or for you, you're going to, uh, you know, uh, uh, log on to that website or, or something else, because everybody else is doing it. Even guys in the church might be doing it, and, and you might have a hesitation there. You know why? It's because your thumb got anointed. That's why we hesitate. That's why we feel bad when we get into areas like that. That's why we feel uh, checked when we get into areas of darkness. Because God's anointed your senses. God's anointed your hands. God's anointed your feet. And there's some places you just should not go. And God reminds us of that by anointing us for the direction that we take in life. When he dressed him and when he anointed him, he separated him. From his brothers. He separated him from any other minister in the camp. Now he's a son of Levi. But he's more than a son of Levi. He's an anointed servant of God. Who can go into the presence of God. On behalf of the children of Israel. He's got a special function. Because he's gone through the process. And do you realize saints of God. Whether, whether it's easy or not. Whether it's short or long. God's putting every one of us through a process. To bring us to a place where we can step. Into the presence of God without death. God's not preparing you and I to die. God's preparing us to live and to walk by faith into another dimension and get over on the other side without having to go through the things that people of every other age have gone through. Somebody ought to say amen. He's anointing us to be able to walk in a certain way. 
You're not an ordinary young person. You might think you are. You're not an ordinary bunch of young people. You are a people that have been exposed to. You've been, you've, you've been allowed to be able to sit underneath the hearing of the word for years, all your life. You, you, let's see your teeth. Cut your teeth on the back of a message pew. He's, he's not known denominations. He's not known the world out there. Uh, you know, like, like most kids growing up in the world. He's got a, a mom and a dad who, who live together and still married and a family that's intact and interested enough to bring him to church and do all of that. And, uh, you know, to be able to live in a certain way. God, let me tell you, that's not by accident. That's God doing something for you by his grace. Uh, there's so many other boys your age who don't get that opportunity. And besides that, God wants to anoint you so that as you go forward, we're reminded God has separated us as a peculiar people. And now when you walk out in the congregation, even your mom and dad will say, whoa, whoa, you're different. Jacket's nice, a little big, but it's nice. The idea is that people see something different in you because it's not you, it's Christ in you. And all of that process, all of that, all of that procedure was all about the way that God wants to anoint you and identify you as someone different. Can I have my jacket back? Thanks. You grab your seat. Because God wants us to be identified as the people of God. <clears throat> I was on the plane last night. And uh, when I got there, we had a, uh, a stewardess who was watching over this our, our section there. And uh, she said, can I get you a drink? You know, something to... Before we take off. And I said, club soda. That's the only, that's the only thing I drink on the plane. I said, club soda. Because I think water's boring, so club soda makes it a little bit more exciting. All night long, she brought me club soda. Uh, I don't know her name. She doesn't know my name. We never talked any more than that. Um, and then when I got up to go, she wrote me a note. And, uh, this is what she said. She said, Barry Coffee, because they have a list inside of who's sitting where. She said, Barry Coffee, hey, Mr. Club Soda, for the entire flight. Thanks for choosing our airline and so forth. You know, hope you have a great day. And uh, uh, she said, as you were tucked underneath your jacket trying to take a nap, she said, I wish you a good day tomorrow, Mother's Day, and so forth. You know, she, and it was just nice. She, she wrote, and when I looked around, she had written everybody a note like that. Everybody at their armrest had a little note like this on, the, on their napkin. But she identified me as Miss Club Soda, Mr. Club Soda. Now, I'll tell you something. <clears throat> when, when I was born in the coffee family, I was identified as a coffee. My identity, in a sense, was given to me. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't, it wasn't a reward. It, it was who I am. It, it was who I was, a son of Frank and Betty Coffee. So therefore, that my identity, in a sense, was already, already shaped. My name was already established. The, the, it's not something that, you know, you're going to grow up and learn how to create an identity for yourself. None of that. I, I, I was who I was right from the time I was born into the family. And it had a lot to do with who my father and mother was, or who my parents were. And because of sin, we all had, we went out in the world, all of us went out in the world, uh, in our, at least in our family, and we had to be washed when we came back here. Let me tell you, Moses had to wash Aaron and his sons there 
from the, the filth of the world in the same way that Paul had to be washed from everything he learned from Gamaliel. This process of washing is not a foreign thing. It's not an Old Testament Levitical thing. It is a thing that's real. It happens to us. Because in reality, God is trying to bring us in harmony with the vision for this day. And the vision for this day is to get out of here without death, to be able to walk through the gate without death and to be able to stand over on the other side and enter into that kingdom over there. And when when God sees something that's contrary to the, to the vision, that's when that's when all of a sudden... Nobody feels good. When, when we operate, either as an individual or a family, you can have trouble in your family, you can have disagreement in your family, or in the church, or the body of Christ. When we're walking contrary to the vision, all of a sudden nobody feels good. And when Moses came down off the mountain and he had the two tables of stone in his hand, he saw this golden calf. That golden calf was contrary to the vision he just received in the mountain. This is contrary to that. And that's why Moses reacted like he did. And whenever in us, and whenever about us, anything there begins to surface that's contrary to the vision, or if you like to say it this way, contrary to the character that God wants to bring into that kingdom, all of a sudden we're in a season where God's pinpointing little things. God's pinpointing little issues in our life and little uh, incidents in our life and making us go back and, and, and search, search our lives and search our hearts without projecting it on other people and without putting the blame anywhere else. We need to first take the, the, the mirror of God's word and look at it and say, Lord, let me see myself first. Let me see myself first because very often I don't see me the way that you see me. You see me as justified as though I never did it in the first place. But I'm possessed with a memory that remembers all the mistakes that I made last week. But Lord, I, I want to I live in such a way that those things begin to get washed away and washed away. And I want to be separated from all of that. Not just separated from the music of the world and the, and the movies of the world. Not just, not just that kind of physical separation. But there's another deeper level of separation that goes on where God begins to deal with the inner man. And separates that, that whole, our whole way of thinking. Because if it's not done, if we don't go through that process, you can be like Lot, who's walking along, following faithfully behind Abraham until he sees something a little shinier down in the valley. And now all of a sudden his view of the world changes. He didn't wake up with evil intent saying, how can I get to Sodom? He's, he's, moving, he's moving with what God's doing in his day. But all of a sudden he sees something over here and it begins to attract his attention. I pray God give us blinders on our eyes so that we're not, not even looking for something that's shinier. We're not looking for anything that's, that's contrary to the vision. But Lord, marry me to the vision. Burn the vision in my heart. Burn the vision in my soul so that whatever way that God, uh, God has spelled out. And I think it's pretty clear. We don't need to be rocket scientists to, f- to figure it out. The next thing for us is just like Joseph taking his wife and putting her in the palace before he reveals himself to Benjamin and the other brothers, right? We're at that place. And, and just before that happened, this had to happen. And I believe we're in the, 
in the season of that happening where God's going to take his bride and just tuck her away in the palace, slip away to reveal himself to Israel and come back to join us in the marriage supper. We're right at that time. We don't have a date and a time. Sorry, we don't have a date and a time. We can't Google it. Uh, you're only going to walk there by faith. That's for absolutely sure. But I will tell you this. If we are close and we believe we're close, we're not just saying that because every other age said it and all Christians say it. We're saying it because God said, look at the signs, look at Israel, look at the, look at the time clock and look at all the things that are happening in the world here. Let me tell you, in, in uh, May 9th over there, in May Day in Russia, and all the other things that could happen, and I mean, uh, who knows, and I'm not going to conjecture at all, but, but who knows that, you know, what, what could be on the morrow when you wake up. And I'm just saying this, that in the, in the Bible here, when Joseph tucked away his wife and children in the palace, it was not a long, drawn-out process. He didn't send trumpeters through the land and say, my wife is going to the palace. He didn't do that. He just kind of all the Bible says is that Joseph, you know, put his wife in the palace and then went off to, to meet his brothers. That's all. So it's not a big global affair. It's not a big national thing. It's not going to have, uh, you know, a, a big, uh, big announcement, you know, preceded and all that. Hey, the announcements have already come. The messengers already come. The message has already sounded. The shout has already gone forth. How many believe that? And so all the attention getting's already been, I, I believe it's done. The last part of it now is happening here. Brother Bam said we're living at the very tail end of things as the world slides towards tribulation. But I, I, I believe that it's just going to be one of those things where it's just another step in our walk, but it'll take us through the door of the palace and we'll be on the inside. And then God's got another thing on his agenda to do with Israel over here. And it won't involve us, so we're in a safe place. And God will slip away to Israel. That's how it's going to happen, folks. That's what the Bible tells us. Do you believe that? The process, the things we go through, the ups and downs, the ins and outs, the times you feel close to God and times you don't. All the little things you're making right in your life with yourself, your family, with one another. All of those things are part of that process of washing and separating and getting things just exactly right so we can get in there without regret, without anything undone. Isn't God good to us? Let's stand to our feet. Let's have our musicians come. Uh, I think we should worship. The, the, the thing that, that the new birth has done for us is, is given us the right identity because we know who we are, but it gives us that awareness of God, that sensitivity towards God. And I'm so thankful that we have that uh, kind of sensitivity towards Him and that, that longing to do what it is that He wants, wants done in our lives. I, I, I just think that's a wonderful thing. I just think that's a wonderful thing. I think this book is a wonderful book. That's a great notebook. Thanks. Had my notes in there. Aren't you glad he's got his eye on you? Hey, he, he loves us even more than what we could ever love him. He cares about us. He sees deep down within us. And he's not afraid of touching, touching our hearts deeply. He's certainly not. Let's sing that little chorus. Um, you are God alone. Let's sing that. Key, uh, ben, if you come on here, you are God alone. Do you know what the key that is? You are God alone in the good times and the bad. I think it is. There it is. <clears throat> Do you know that song, Ben? All right. Let's sing it together. You are not a God created by human hands, and you're not a God that's dependent on any mortal man. Let's sing it together. All right, sir. Course, you want to go to you are God from before time began. You were on.
God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on the throne. You are God alone. You're a God created by you. God in need of anything for your plan that's just you are God alone from before time began you are on your throne You are God alone, right now, good times and bad, you are on your throne, that's the same key, isn't it? You are God alone. Sorry, sorry, let's, let's switch, let's, that's my fault, let's switch here. Let's sing that little chorus, Draw Me Close to You. I'm sorry, I thought we had that. Um, damn. Draw Me Close to You. Let's sing it together. Draw me, me close to you. Sorry. Never let me go. Lay it all down again To hear you say that I'm your friend You are my desire No one else will do Nothing else can take your place To feel the warmth of your embrace Will probably find a way Lord, bring me back to you Your
Because, Lord, that's a wonderful thing. Have your way, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. White as snow, white as snow. Let's sing the key of F there. Brother Ben, we're going to turn it over to Ben, and may God bless you this morning. White as snow, white as snow, sins are as scarlet. that I make. Amen. I'm so thankful for that. Let's sing that song, um, Falling in Love with Jesus. Is that the greatest decision you ever made? Amen. Falling in love with Jesus. Real falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus Was the best thing I ever done Let's sing it one more time Oh, falling in love with Jesus Oh, falling in love Falling in love with Jesus. 
Jesus was the best thing I ever done. In His arms I feel protected. In His arms never disconnected. In His arms I feel protected. There's no place I'd rather be. Oh, falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I ever done. In His arms, oh, in His arms, I feel protected, and in His arms, never In His arms I feel protected And there's no place I'd rather, rather be One more time in His arms In His arms I feel protected In His arms Never disconnected. Oh, in his arms I feel protected. There's no place I'd rather, rather be. Can we sing that song one more time? We sang in the song service, I Need You, Lord. I just, I really, I enjoy that song. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. I lift my hands and I bow my knees, oh, and worship at your throne. I need you, Lord. Yes, I need you, Lord, right now. We need you, Lord. Well, we need you, Lord, we need you, Lord, right now. We need you, Lord, we need you, Lord, right now. 
our hands Bow our knees And worship at your throne Where we need you, Lord Yes, we need you, Lord Right now One more time, I need you, Lord I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. my hands and bow my knees and worship at your throne cause I need you Lord yes I need you Lord right to stand with Anthony and to witness his profession of faith and his desire to walk in obedience to the scriptures. And this is something that God's been dealing with him about and at home and, and uh, just felt a stirring. And we're so grateful that uh, young people are still feeling a stirring in their hearts. That's just, that's just a wonderful thing, a very blessed thing. And we rejoice, the angels of heaven rejoice, and... Uh, I know that the family is a little more complete when one member uh, returns. And so, if you would, I'd just ask you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we stand here together, Lord, today, we join our hearts, Lord, and ask, oh God, that you would look upon Anthony, Lord, look at him now through the blood of Christ. And Father, forgive him every sin, every failure, Lord, everything that needs to be under the blood. May, Lord, this be the day and the Lord, begins to walk in newness of life. Something comes alive in him. I pray you'd use him, Lord, for your glory. You have a purpose in calling your children back home. And Lord, we are so grateful because for Anthony now, the greater lays ahead of him. And so we ask, O oh God, now that you would just receive a sacrifice of his body today, Lord, and his soul, and we just commit him to you and just pray that you would deal him according to your grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Hold your nose, everybody. Anthony, based on your desire to walk with God and in obedience to the scripture, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing one more song before we get ready to go. God is good, isn't he? Amen. God is good all the time. What's a song of praise in this heart of mine? God is good all the time through the darkest night. 
His light will shine. God is good. My God is good all the time. Well, if you're walking through the valley, there are shadows all around. Well, do not fear. He will guide you. He will keep you safe and sound. And He has promised to never leave you, amen, nor forsake you. And His Word is good, God is good all the time. What's a song of praise in this heart of mine? God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. My God is good all the time. Now we were sinners, so unworthy, yet for us He chose to die. And sealed us with His Holy Spirit, so we could stand and testify that His love is everlasting and His mercies, amen, they will never end. God is good all the time, puts a song of praise in this heart of mine, God is good all the time, through the darkest night, His light will shine, God is good, my God is good all the time. We're going to sing that one more time as we dismiss you, but I was just going to remind you, if you're a mother... Get a plant on the way out. All right. You're dismissed. God is good all the time. It's a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. My God is good. My God is good. All the time.